I mean, at one level, sure, that's it, right? Like, if you love somebody enough, anything's possible. Well, okay, maybe. This is the Gospel of Musical Theater, a priestly look at some of your favorite musicals with your hosts, Cathedral Deans and Musical Theater Queens, Nathan LaRude and Peter Elliott. Welcome to the Gospel According to Musical Theater. I'm Nathan LaRue, Dean of Trinity Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. I'm Peter Elliott from Vancouver, British Columbia, retired Dean of Christ Church Cathedral. And uh, gosh, uh, one of the most fun things in my retirement is hanging out with Nathan LaRue and talking about musical theater for these podcasts. So hi. Uh, hi. So we're, we're ready to do a, a little bit of a pivot today. We spent some, some time with our friends Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II exploring kind of the, the genesis of this whole new way of creating a musical where the, the songs don't just get dropped into a floofy little story and some chorus girls bare their legs and everybody goes home slightly drunk and slightly horny. But uh, you might actually have a whole different kind of experience in the theater that might actually make you cry and might, uh, you know, transform your life or at least move you to some uh, to some different kind of perspective. So we're, we're kind of looking at the flowering of that tradition today as we begin an examination of the musicals of Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe. Peter, tell me. Lerner and Lowe. Yeah, tell me a little bit how you first encountered Lerner and Lowe. Do you have do you have some good Lerner and Lowe origin stories yeah. well i mean uh, growing up um it was very much in in the panel p of musical theater from my perspective as a kid who grew up loving musical theater there was rogers and hammerstein and there was lerner and Lowe. yeah and in some ways they were fused together in my mind as these two great sets of uh composers and lyricists whose uh, combination of uh, partnership of working together just made all sorts of sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Fritz Lowe is the, is the Richard Rogers of this pair. He's the musician, Austrian, a little bit older than Alan J. Lerner. Right. Um, Alan J. Lerner, uh, an American flamboyant, uh, is the lyricist. He'd worked with Burton Lane and he did some other work after mm-hmm. after, after his, partnership his with uh, partnership with uh, with Lowe uh, ended. I think Lowe's music is on a par with Richard Rogers. His yeah. sense of melody, orchestration, some of the most beautiful melodies I think in the musical theater canon uh, are because of Fritz Lowe. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lerner is a witty and brilliant lyricist. Yeah. Um, quite inventive, quite imaginative, quite creative. Yeah. They're an interesting, they're an interesting, as you say, an age difference there. Fritz Lowe is about the age of Richard Rogers. They're, they're near contemporaries. He's a, an, an immigrant, an immigrant, as you say, from Austria, uh, trained in a Berlin conservatory and apparently was the youngest pianist ever to perform with the Berlin Philharmonic in his day at like 13 years old. He was kind of a piano prodigy. Um, so wow. classically trained musician, uh, sometimes I think sort of regarded as like the sort of the Schubert of the musical theater canon. I mean, a real ear for for classical European melodies. Um, and as you say, kind of a remarkable tunesmith in that sense. I mean, really soaring, soaring tunes along kind of along the Richard Rogers lines. Uh, and he and and Alan J. Lerner bump into each other. I think I think Lowe is in his what late thirties, early forties. Alan J. Lerner is a callow young thing of twenty four. 
Um, he's a <laughs> Harvard-educated, Choate Hall-educated, B. Dale's school in, in England, sort of the, the famous sort of liberal progressive. That's where Princess Margaret sent her kids, you know, the first co-educational pu- public school in Britain. So he's got his, kind of as Lowe does, he's got one foot in this sort of European tradition, one foot in a kind of uh, very upper middle class American, you know, waspy world, even though they're both Jewish. And they run into each other, the story goes, in the Lambs Club. Yeah, the Lambs Club in New York City, which I think yeah. is kind of like a, a club for musical theater types and writers and didn't know any, I mean, you know, apparently they bumped into each other, I think on the way to the bathroom is the way that Lerner tells the story. <laughs> and Lowe said, out of the clear blue sky, hey, you write lyrics? And he said, well, I just sort of assumed that if this guy was hanging out at the Lambs Club, he must be talented. So I said, yes, I do. You want to collaborate on something? And that afternoon they sat down for the first time and banged out a little number. So three flops before, um, before Brigadoon comes along. One that never even made it to Broadway. I don't remember the name of that one. They've got a show called, I think, What's Next or, or something like that. Do you have that? Oh, right. Um, which, has, as near as I can tell, has never been, <laughs> I don't know, it's, I, don't, I, I, I don't even know really what it's about. Um, has not really, has not managed to, you know, be one of these musicals that gets rediscovered. Um, but their, their second collaboration that made it to Broadway has seen a kind of a little bit of a rediscovery. There was a production at, on, through Encores in New York City a couple of years ago. Uh, Next Day to Spring, something. Oh, okay. Yeah, to, not um, familiar with it at all. Yeah, too. a couple. The 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 article I saw said, you know, they they kind of they begin in the late '30s, early '40s, kind of along the Rogers and Hart lines. So sort of clever, witty, urbane, New York City centric shows. Alan J. Lerner kind of modeling himself after Moss Hart uh, and writing very kind hmm. of clever, witty. And by the time they get to Brigadoon, this is sort of, you know, post-Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma has taken Broadway by storm. And very consciously, they set out to do this new thing, right? This integrated musical. So they bring Agnes yeah. DeMille on board, who famously had uh, choreographed Oklahoma to do some of the, the dance work. Um, and build a, build a show around characters and plot where the songs come out of the, um, out of the story in a way that was not true. Um, and and, and right. as, one, as one writer says, this is sort of where Lowe finds his you know, finds his Schubert soaring melody and where Alan J. Lerner discovers that he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be Lawrence Hart. He can be something like Oscar Hammerstein II, a much more sort of wearing your heart on your sleeve sort of approach to musicals. Yeah. Yeah. And then Paint Your Wagon, My Fair Lady, of course, Camelot, Gigi? Yeah, Gigi, (laughs) for the the silver screen. I think Lerner goes to to Hollywood kind of mid- I don't remember if it was, you know, I guess before before My Fair Lady, I think that's about when it happened. So writes the screenplay to An American in Paris, uh, the screenplay to Royal Wedding, which is a, a kind of MG, big MGM Arthur Freed musical. They they do Gigi with Arthur Freed, kind of one of the most successful movie musicals of its time. We, we'll decide if we want to tackle Gigi or not. Uh, we have to decide has not, that. Yeah, has not, has not aged well, but was a huge success <laughs> in its time. Dude, Maurice kind of, Chevalier. Maurice and... Chevalier, yeah. And Aud- Audrey Hepburn, is she the... I think no, it's, so. No, it's Leslie 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 Caron. Uh, Leslie Caron. Leslie Caron yes. is, the, is the ingenue, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, mm, yeah. We'll, we'll decide if... It's well, not technically, uh, uh, you know, never... Later, later, I think in the 70s, they kind of came back together to dust off Gigi and bring it to the stage. So there is a stage version of Gigi. You can, if you're a little community theater somewhere, you can decide you want to do Gigi at, you know, at your own, <laughs> Good luck. At your own risk. At your own risk. <laughs> yeah, if you really want to dust that one off. But uh, but I, it does have, I mean, you know, there's some great songs in Gigi. They're creepy in their context, but beautiful melodies, clever lyrics. I mean, it's, you know, we, yeah. we, might, we might decide there's something to talk about there. We'll see. 
But yeah, yeah. a kind of a, a, a pretty pretty long-lived partnership between the two of them. They, you know, for 20 or 30 years, they uh, were, doing, were doing some, and some of the, as you say, some of the kind of most success, I think along with Rodgers and Hammerstein, sort of defining that mid-century integrated musical, certainly right up there with Rodgers and Hammerstein in, in there. Yeah, well. and uh, a contrast in personalities, not unlike Rodgers and Hammerstein, mm -hmm. low, very introverted, learner, very extroverted yep. uh you might say flamboyant uh married eight, eight times eight times uh, yeah one of his ex-wives yeah. said that was how he started to say goodbye was when he married you <laughs> apparently that was the that was his exit his uh, his cry for help was signing the wedding license and putting a ring on it not a not the marrying kind he said not no. the marrying kind but he said also not the single kind so you know there you go he's uh and uh although enormously commercially successful uh died broke yeah um when he was 67 years old well that's a lot of divorce settlements me. i mean gosh, that's a lot of settlements and so My forth goodness. and they they really worked together the big question often in musical theater is which comes first you know it's chicken or the egg Do, does the music come first do the lyrics come first and they would kind of sit together learner would put out some possible lyrics Lowe would play a possible melody. Mm -hmm. They'd go back and forth, almost sitting on the piano bench together yeah. until they came up with a with a, a marriage of uh, lyric and um, and tune mm -hmm. um, that pleased them. And you know their their songs actually hit the hit parade. You know, if ever I would leave sure. you from Camelot, I've grown accustomed to her face on the street where you live come to me bend to me from brigadoon mm -hmm. which andrew lloyd weber stole the melody now there's only so many notes on the scale but come to me bend to me dum ta da tee phantom of the opera he, I'm sure Lloyd Webber would probably say they were they were both stealing from they were both stealing from Verity, so maybe maybe that's go. that's probably. our excuse. But uh, yeah, but beautiful beautiful melodies and clever clever lyrics that that stay in your mind and uh, stay in your memory and and the tunes still work uh, yeah. still work today. Yeah. So what do you want to say about Brigadoon? That that's so this is sort of their first their first viable hit. I suppose we could yeah. say two, two, two flops, one that never even makes it to Broadway, two that do, but they play about 60 performances. And then they, then they retool and decide, well, what we really need is to go to the Highlands of Scotland for our next, <laughs> our for our next piece. And Brigadoon is a show that, that you, that you really love, right? It's, it's one of your- I love Brigadoon. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's corny. Mm -hmm. It's kind of sappy. It's completely in, it's completely an act of the imagination. I mean, yeah. it's too, Americans hiking in the highlands of Scotland when they get lost mm -hmm. and they happen upon a village that magically comes to life only once every 100 years. Mm -hmm. And they just happen to hit the day that the village comes to life. So, you know, I mean, maybe that has happened somewhere in occult history, but to the best of my knowledge, this is completely fantastical. This right. is, we're in a very imaginative, uh, imaginative world. And it's also a, a, an interesting cue to Lerner and Lowe that except for Paint Your Wagon, 
most of their musicals happen and i don't know anything about Gigi really except mm. it's creepy um, turn of the century paris the, is yeah yes but yeah. the big three brigadoon camelot and my fair lady all happen in the british isles yep. um in england or scotland in this mm -hmm. case and i think that signals a kind of fascination that post-world war america had with britain mm -hmm. uh, because the alliance between britain and the u.s in the second world war was robust churchill and fdr famously uh, collaborated together uh, had one remarkable visit of churchill to the white house where the drinking is legendary um uh, the two of them being able to throw back uh, astonishing amounts of alcohol and and basically between the two of them run the, uh, the free <laughs> run the world, second world war. Called. That's a terrifying <laughs> way to think about the second world war. That they, <laughs> but it is, it is. But this this great fascination with the UK and um, and then the the other I think sociological fascination. Then I I'll, I'll talk a bit more about Brigadoon, but there were uh, a lot of war brides. There was a mm. lot of romance that went on between Americans uh, and, and British uh, and Canadians. And Canadians and too, as well yeah. As, mm -hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of um, British soldiers who married American or Canadian women, mm -hmm. um, or uh, there were... Uh, similarly Canadian and Americans who were stationed in the UK sure. through the Second World War uh, who married British uh, mm -hmm. British women British so girls. <laughs> British girls so there was a there was the notion of romance between an American and uh, and a Scottish lassie mm -hmm. was not outside of the realm of imagination or experience sure there are there are um, people in the audience who have lived that lived that experience and recognized that's that it by the 1940s yeah um and i think you know post second world war there was also a kind of longing for a more innocent time hmm. um i mean we are living through as we record these unprecedented troubled times in the united states with uh the end of the presidency of, 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 of Donald Trump. So I think we know a bit about what it's like to be traumatized and horrified by, by uh, events. And um, as one of my elderly friends said, when I was, when I was complaining about, you know, how long this pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic's going on, we're recording this in the midst of that. She said, it's not even been a year. The second world war, was six years, you know? Right. So it's kind of six years of constant news and friends and relatives dying, um, threat, especially after Hiroshima, the mm -hmm. nuclear, of nuclear warfare. My point is that I think there was a longing in late 1940s, 1950s, America, North America, uh, for the depiction of a, of a happier time. Yeah. And that gets picked up in a lot of musical theater. Certainly by the time we get to Music Man, right. it's become iconic, you know. But here, Lerner and Lowe uh, have taken a flight of fancy, an imaginative journey into this sleeping village that awakes only once every 100 years. Mm -hmm. But 
can uh, a stranger can stay there if they love somebody if they fall in love so mm. it's basically a a love story yeah very similar in its structure i mean you can almost see Lerner and Lowe sitting down and uh, examining Oklahoma. Right. What makes the show structure. work? How do we, yeah, yeah. What makes how the do, show we do work? this? And they do it. So there's two couples mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. We've got Curly and Lori and Will and uh, Ado Annie uh, and Brigadoon. We have Tommy and Fiona and Jeff, Tommy's American companion mm -hmm. and Meg who is a uh, sexually expressive woman, just kind of like Ado Annie is. We have the conditional love song, which is uh, kind of a, a major trope in musical theater. Mm -hmm. In Oklahoma, Curly and Larry sing, people will say we're in love. Uh, in Brigadoon, Tommy and Fiona sing, it's almost like being in love. I mean, even the titles mm -hmm. are almost uh, Almost, almost mere images of one another, yeah. And in Oklahoma, Ado Annie sings, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Mm -hmm. And in Brigadoon, Meg sings uh, the real love of my life, where she chronicles uh, lovers that she's had. None of them have worked out to a marriage. Uh -huh. It's a very similar kind of kind of comic. I mean, I think when we delve a bit more into My Fair Lady and so forth, one of the things that we will want to talk about is the way women are typecast either as sure. virgins or whores, you yeah. know, um, uh, the pristine Fiona versus, mm -hmm. or pristine, yeah, Fiona versus Meg or uh, Lori versus Annie. I mean, mm -hmm. it goes on. It's, it's something that goes on. Sure. Yeah, and Fiona does kind of have a little bit of Lori's sort of independence. And doesn't she sing a song, you know, like, I'm I'm holding out for... I'm holding out for my, you know, my one true, yeah. my one true guy. Waiting for my dearie. Waiting for my dearie, right? All, all these other girls are, dearie. you know, as soon as they yeah. turn 20, they're going to, they're landing the first boy they can get to marry. But not, not me. I'm content to die a spinster if he never comes along, which feels yeah. very Lorish, right? Many a new day yeah. will please my eye. Many a new love will find me. I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm not settling for some jerk. I'm holding out for yeah. the real deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this idea of the mythical town of that comes to life only once every hundred years, a lot of scholarly debate about, does it come from James Barry, the Peter Pan author? Uh, is it an ancient Celtic legend? Mm -hmm. Lerner said it was a complete act of the imagination and I think we might as well just go, uh, go with him on sure. that one. But as you say, Agnes de Mille, so because it's in the Scottish Highlands and because in the opening scene, this village that has been asleep mm -hmm. comes to life vendor by vendor, person by person, I think uh, next to the opening of Fiddler on the Roof, I yeah. think the opening of Brigadoon is just absolutely magical with, yeah. uh, with an invitation to come to the fair. Um, I hear uh, the, the song, uh, I think is called Come to the Fair, whatever, resonances of Ho of, of Isaiah's, you know, mm. that great passage. Oh, everyone who thirsts. Oh, yeah. everyone who thirsts, come and buy, you know, it's that, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. that kind of invitation into a, into a community, uh, into a simpler community, into a simpler time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's there that the cares of New York and 
urban life uh, seemed to disappear as as Tommy falls in love with Fiona and they uh, romance each other on the uh, uh, hillside the hill. of Heather uh-huh. and you know it's 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 sweet in that way but you have uh highland dancing and sword the sword dance the highland fling mm-hmm. all those kind of elements uh uh working their way through which makes for a wonderful evening of singing and dancing and storytelling uh it's yeah it's, it's corny but it's delightful yeah and, and in some ways like that it, it's it's a it's a musical about musicals in a certain way, isn't it? I mean, especially okay. thinking about that mid-century that you just sketched, right? This uh, this desire to, you know, escape the the sordidness, the violence, the craziness of the modern world and escape to something pure. I mean, that's that's what a musical offers an audience, right? The opportunity to descend for a couple hours into a kind of fantasy, fantasy land. And so Brigadoon is sort of, you know, in some ways literalizing that, kind of actually giving the characters in the show that same experience that the audience in the theater is getting, right? For two hours you get to come into this magic world that only exists for two hours every night, you know, before we all take off our wigs and our grease paint and go home. Um, there's something yeah. so theatrical about that that fantasy, right? This world, this community that is constituted in front of the footlights that is magic in a certain kind of way and doesn't have to be grounded in, in any kind of realism, right? I mean, there is a sort of heightened fantasy element uh, to the world of to the world of Brigadoon, that in some ways it really does. I don't know. It kind of taps into the the desire. I think that takes people to the Broadway theater in the mid century. Yeah, I think so, and probably I today. think so. And it's you know it's revived time and time again. Community groups, school groups. Uh, it's a it's a story that is well told and compelling. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly. I mean, I, I think particularly for men for for straight men kind of sitting in the audience, what's going to, you know, what's gonna get the ad executive from the big ad agency in Manhattan engaged for two and a half hours at the theater would probably rather go to a go to a fight or go to a Knicks game or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the story of an adventuresome guy from New York on a hike getting lost. Okay. You've got, you've got a whole bunch of guys already. Right. Um, finding a magical village with a beautiful Scottish lassie that he falls in love with. Uh, uh, second, you've got him. And then the third time is the notion that he, he could leave everything behind, yeah. leave his New York stress and strain behind and just go live in a simpler a simpler village. There's so a, is is that what happened? I don't I don't know the story of Brigadoon well enough to. Is, do they stay? Do the do the boys the Yanks? Would they come home? Uh, it's too late for Tommy and Fiona, but he's sitting in a bar. A very corny scene. He's sitting in a bar in New York, uh, drowning his sorrows, telling a friend about what's happened, and as he tells the story, Fiona's image appears through a scrim, usually uh-huh. singing. You know, he says, and the hillsides were filled with heather. And so she sings a little bit of the heather on the hill. Uh-huh. You know, it's corny as all get out.
No, Jane. No. No what? I can't go through with it. There's not going to be a wedding, Jane. I'm sorry. Something strange happened a few months ago. I can't explain it. But now, I don't fit here anymore. I think you've gone clean out of your mind. But I refuse to sit here and argue with you in this bar. And if you think anyone else is going to put up with your nonsense, you're stark raving mad. So think that over, Mr. Albright, when you're all alone. I think real loneliness is not being in love in vain, but not being in love at all. You understood, Fiona. I didn't. You walking through the heather when we were there together. That's all I see from this day on. These hurried hours were all the life we could share. Still, I will go with not a tear, just a prayer that please. Jeff, I want to go back to Scotland. I said I want to go back to Scotland. Never mind what for. Do you want to come with me? We'll get plane reservations right away. And then he realizes that he's not happy in New York. He beats his way back to Scotland, which in the 1950s would have been a, a a little harder. And with that realizes that He's love and finds Fiona uh, and tells her that he loves her. And it's enough for him to be reintegrated into the place. And how does he how does he get back in if it only opens up every 100 years? Shouldn't he have to wait another? Well, he loved her enough. That oh, I he, see. When he goes back, mm-hmm. they start waking up again. Okay. And there's a, there's a Scottish minister in the thing, Mr. Oh, Lundy, a mm-hmm. great Scots name, who is amongst the first to wake up. And he wakes up because Tommy's love for Fiona is so strong uh-huh. that he's able to break through the spell that has caused them all to sleep. And it's the last line of Brigadoon. He says, Mr. Lundy says, because if, after all, lad, if ye love someone deeply, anything is possible. So Tommy's love is what not only allows him to connect with Fiona, but wakes up the whole community wakes and whole, breaks this. Yeah. So do they? So do they come into the? Maybe I'm maybe I'm, I'm pushing the literalness of the story. <laughs> what happens to them? Like, does Meg go and like work in a, as a secretary in Edinburgh? Like, yeah, I mean, no, I think. And gee, I need to see Brigadoon again. It's been decades since uh-huh. I've seen it. I think it ends with them in the village of Brigadoon and right. presumably. But the spell is broken now. There. Brigadoon is integrated somehow into the. Back so into the, which would be yeah. very odd for everybody. I oh, guess, isn't that interesting, you know? though? He, I mean, he he sets them free, 
but also <laughs> it sets them free yeah. to enter into the mid 20th century world that they may or may not be ready for. That's interesting. Yeah. But 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 the, but that the answer is not Tommy gets to live full time in his fantasy, right? That somehow right. the the community has to be integrated into the, you know, we have to we have to exit the theater doors and be able to take whatever we've learned in this magical world out into the the streets in which we live. That that is interesting. That the, that that tension between the the world of the fantasy, the the world of escapism, and the and the world of reality, and how they how they get integrated. And I guess in some ways that's kind of what the marriage plot exists to do, right? Like whenever we've got a right. a love story in a musical, at some level, I you know, th- and this is in some ways sort of the interpretive the interpretive question, right? Like what what is what is attempting to be reconciled in these two characters who are falling in love, usually facing some obstacle that's going to keep them from one another, and then finally at the at the end marrying which is you know in Laurie in Laurie and Curly in Oklahoma we say well you know in some ways this is sort of you know the cowboys America the you know the open frontier the the masculine you know unbridled take it to the hills you know being being joined with domesticity the farmer uh, the you know settling in the land making statehood I mean everything that sort of Laurie and her domestic world represents and uh, and so Laurie and Curly kind of come together as sort of the union of the unbridled American spirit the masculine unbridled spirit with the more feminized domestic world and that gets integrated in Oklahoma and in Brigadoon it sounds like in some ways it's it's that sort of that dynamic of um, almost a European fantasy that somehow has to yeah. be integrated post Second World War with this American century of progress and yeah and there's a there's a great song just before he goes back to new york that tommy sings uh called there but for you go i Mm. i think it's one of the most beautiful of uh of fritz lowe's melodies and um uh one of the verses goes uh i saw a man walking by the sea alone with the tide was he i looked and I thought as I watched him go by there but for you go I uh-huh. and then the the bridge is lonely men around me trying not to cry till the day you found me there among them was I this is hard to say but as I wandered through the lee I felt for just a fleeting moment that I suddenly was free of being lonely then I closed my eyes and saw the very reason why. I saw a man walking by the sea. Alone with the tide was he. I looked and I thought as I watched him go by. There but for you go I Lonely men around me Trying not to cry Till the day you found me There among them was I I saw had never known a love that was all his own. I thought as I thanked all the stars in the sky, there but for you go 
and this notion it's kind of haunted me for the last couple of years the the line lonely men around me trying not to cry mm-hmm. i think post second world war especially for returning veterans long before we learned about ptsd yeah there were a lot of emotionally broken wounded men mm-hmm. um moving through life i mean we're up one of our pandemic watching because we missed it when it was first broadcast is mad men we're kind of watching through uh through mad men and yeah. oh my god the men are so emotionally stunted unavailable to each other unavailable to themselves yeah. the whole sense of of uh an emotional having any kind of emotional vocabulary about uh emotional vocabulary expressing feeling some of that because there was no time if you were a returning veteran and you were moving into the suburbs and you were starting a family you just had to buck up you know right. stiff upper lip uh, right. kind of get through it and i think in a funny way brigadoon breaks breaks that down by showing a man who has an emotional breakthrough by falling in love uh with Fiona and realizing that he had to do something for his own well-being wholeness salvation whatever and really really falling in love right huh and that and yeah. that does kind of become the i mean that sort of harkens back to kind of what the what the the Scottish minister says at the end, right? That I mean, like yeah. that this that there this is sort of in some ways the the urtext to the Broadway phenomenon of the power of love, which we tend to sort of dismiss as a little bit sentimental or you know like love conquering all. And okay, that's a hackneyed old plot, but there is something so especially in that context, thinking about an an audience full of emotionally stunted men, and yeah. and the women who are suffering alongside with them. Um, oh, probably boy. many of them, you know, dealing with their own sorts of, you know, I mean, you think about the woman in 1950 and kind of what, you know, the, the, the Betty Friedan, the problem that has no name, right? I mean, like she's dealing with yes. her own kind of set of set of issues and, yeah. and the promise maybe, you know, maybe it is a, to a certain degree, a, a hope, a longing, a, an illusory promise even, but that somehow through, um, through love, something might crack love. open there. And not yeah. just for the for that individual, right? But uh, what I what I love about the that, that kind of final image of Brigadoon is the entire community. And this does feel Comes like like the gospel to me, right? It's never about yeah. you know my individual salvation, or it's not never only about my individual salvation, right? right? Like Jesus doesn't right. just die for me. Um, something if if salvation has any meaning at all, that love has got to transform an entire community, right? This is the kingdom of God, right. not just the kingdom of me. Um, and in its own way, Brigadoon is kind of kind of tapping into that phenomenon. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And also just thinking about Lerner and Lowe's men, mm-hmm. at least in their big three, we have Tommy, then we have Henry Higgins. <laughs> Another man in dire need of <laughs> talking about emotionally what? stalted. You yeah. know, and Eve, I mean, where Tommy is able to at least embrace love for mm-hmm. a moment and relationship and adventure, you're left and we'll talk more. We'll talk lots more about My Fair Lady, but you're left at the end of Henry Higgins with yeah. the real question of whether it was even possible right. for him to Well, because the romance at the center of My Fair Lady, I would argue, is Higgins and Pickering. I mean, that's right. that's the <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna push the push the idea a little bit. But yes, the, I mean, I, similarly, King Arthur and Camelot. 
Sure. You know, and again, and maybe this is uh, Alan J. Lerner's serial monogamy mm-hmm. just kind of oozing through. I mean, although I, I think the audience, at least this member of the audience in, in, in Camelot, wants to believe deeply that King Arthur really loved Guinevere yeah. and let her go into right. a new relationship, almost as a, an act of, of generosity and giving. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the, the, uh, yeah, and in Camelot, I mean, what the wrenching thing for Arthur is that he, it, to a certain degree, he loves Lancelot just as much as he loves Guinevere. So that's, I mean, it, it's not just, you know, my wife is leaving me for another guy. She's leaving me for the man I love more. I think that's, you know, his, his monologue, right? If there were any, if there were any man alive who I would choose right. to be, you know, my everything, it's Lancelot. If there were any woman alive who I would completely devote myself to, it's Guinevere. Yeah. What do I do? They love one yeah. another. And yeah, so I mean, yeah, I don't know about emotionally stunted, but certainly caught in a, uh, in a complex uh, situation. Yeah. And yeah, and navigating yeah. sort of the the aftermath of falling in love, maybe, and the kind of the, the sort of the the act two of that in some ways. But yeah, th- there is something interesting. There's an interesting through line here, as you say, about Lerner and Lowe's men, and this. Um, I mean, I, I heard an interview with 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 Alan J. Lerner just this afternoon. This is sort of the other one. Paint your wagon. He said, you know, every song in Paint Your Wagon is really about loneliness. The the, the whole piece is about yeah. is about. I mean, and in Paint Your Wagon, it really is men, right? Once again, men yeah. and the loneliness of of men. Um, that in some yes. ways that is kind of their primary or one of their primary themes uh, and such well, a powerful it, one for that era. Such a powerful one. And, you know, and then just thinking a bit about the church in the 1940s, 50s and into the mm-hmm. early 60s, you had congregations filled with with uh, with men who did not have a kind of natural emotional vocabulary or expressiveness and women who were often stuck in um, in marriages, often abusive marriages, either psychologically or sadly too often physically, yeah. being led, I mean, just let this kind of sink in, by all male clergy mm-hmm. <laughs> who themselves might have had a little more emotional range because of dealing with... Um, you know, death and birth and all the things that pastors have to deal with or not. Or not. Or yeah. as wounded of, and as, yeah. wounding uh, people through their ministries, yeah. you know. You think about the phenomenon of how many kind of male clergy of that era we we would look back now and say, you know, to a certain degree, closeted, you know, queer men right. who are finding a place yeah. of safety in the clergy um, yeah. that in some ways allows them to express something that, conventional heterosexual marriage will not but in other ways right. keeps them very stunted and then and then sort of promulgates that emotional stuntedness then onto their congregations in ways that can be pretty pernicious pretty horrible yeah, yeah. yeah so when there's you know when when church talk looks back nostalgically mm-hmm. to the full sunday schools of the 1950s and 60s and you know uh that the church was strong and vibrant I always think it's a false narrative because, sure, maybe there were more people there, but as soon as honesty was demanded, Mm -hmm. as soon as challenge came culturally, the thing imploded. People left in droves because the church could no longer be a place to pretend. Yeah. 
in the 60s, right? Yeah. Uh, as feminism developed, as gay rights came forward, as the anti-war uh, sentiment in the U.S., as in Canada's acknowledgement of the the terrible harm done to Indigenous people by church in cahoots with government, as all that came, there was kind of an emptying of, of churches, uh, mainline especially, uh, and a growth in some more conservative, which still pretended that you could get through the world without uh, having to confront your own inner demons or be truly and deeply honest about who you are, or to acknowledge that women and men, the it's a chromosome or two difference. I mean, we're more similar than different. And so why were some roles denied of women and not, et cetera, the whole thing. I mean, I think when we look back on it, it wasn't a golden era. Yeah, It was in fact a sad, sad time. And maybe it was only through you know, uh, a musical like Brigadoon that the veneer of, of men and women could crack a little bit and their hearts open a bit and say, you know, there but for you go I. Yeah, it's not interesting, though, because in some ways you, you could also you could also say that Brigadoon is exacerbating the problem. I mean, by by sort of yeah. illustrating the appeal of a fantasy world. Right. Like, I mean, you know, in some ways, the the, the village of Brigadoon is a sort of mid-century church and you know it's a, it's it's yeah. a fantasy version of the past it's a uh it's it's yeah. what the theater does so well right and kind of invites you into a, a a beautiful mythical magical golden place where there are you know everything is to a certain degree hunky-dory so does does a does a show like brigadoon exacerbate that mid that mid-century fantasy or does as you're saying you know maybe kind of through the power of love hold up a mirror to that world and and say i mean to a certain degree in a gentle loving musically attuned way to its audience look what you're doing to yourselves there is yeah. a there is an there is an alternative there is a better way there are other There's ways of being way. human in this world yeah and and love is powerful yeah you know i mean um uh, waking a, a sleeping village through love it was only you know a couple decades later that the beatles sang all you need is love sure Certainly, the Christian gospel—it's it—it—it it, it, it does violence to the gospel to reduce it to love, but certainly the love of God is the major theme of of the gospel, and and I guess it really comes down to love being more than the marriage trope, right? right? It's right. it's more than romantic love; it is a deeper a deeper honesty, a deeper engagement, a, a bigger heart for the world and a greater compassion. All of those kinds of things, mm -hmm. I think, are begin to draw the contours or some lines around the ineffable, uh, ineffable concept of love. But sure. at least at Brigadoon, there it is. Yeah. If you love someone, you can change the world. Right? Well, if you love, and 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 the line I think that you quoted, and it's I mean significantly right. It's the it's the Scottish minister who who says it yeah. is if you love someone, what is it deeply? Deeply, deeply, anything is possible. Yeah, which is I mean at one level, sure that's it, right? Like if you love somebody enough, anything's possible. Well, okay, maybe. But it, maybe that, the key word there for me anyway is deeply, right? Which might, yeah. in the in the mouth of a well-trained minister, and let's assume that he he is a well-trained one who knows what he's talking about. He's not yeah. he's not necessarily saying, you know, 
find the right mate and settle down, right? But like that yeah. that deeply is kind of as you're saying, right? It's more than romantic love. It's a right. different kind of heart opening experience that opens you to the world in a different kind of way that certainly includes romantic love, but it's not limited to it. Right. And in some ways, what Tommy has by the end of Brigadoon is a conversion experience. Sure. He is willing to leave uh, a former life behind mm -hmm. and embrace a new life. I mean, it's kind of classic in that sure. way because of Fiona. Absolutely. Right. But was it even more than that? Was right. it? Is it also this world know, that she represents? That yeah. She inhabited and and contrasted with you know, drinking martinis at the bar in New York yeah. to being in this village that everybody's kind of involved with everybody's life. I mean, it couldn't sure. be a stronger contrast. Of, yeah, it's a community that worlds. calls him in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. And you him. think about you think about Lerner and Lowe, right? Writing these, you know, very urbane, sophisticated, you know, <laughs> my love is a married man is the one song I know from the shows that predate Brigadoon, right? Like it, they're, they're, they're shows right. about um, <laughs> adultery. And in some ways, I think I, you know, the, the, the spring show is kind of follies before it's time, right? Like looking back right. and realizing, oh, I married the wrong person. How do I get back with them? But, you know, so these very sort of sophisticated urban shows, but then having their own, and I'm completely, you know, making up a story here, but that Brigadoon <laughs> is, is in some ways a departure, right? And it's it's towards something that's much more integrated. Now, at a certain level, that's artistic integration. But maybe yeah. there's also something deeper than that in, you know, going on for the two of them, right? If we really, if we really want to tap into something in our audiences, it's not going to be through urbane, witty dialogue about cheating on our spouses and, uh, and regrets. We, we need to write songs about loneliness, we need to write songs about the power right. of a deeper kind of love, a community that comes alive, maybe only every 100 years, but something is powerful there. That's, that's interesting yeah. to me to think about, kind of as we think about their trajectory as a, as a writing partnership and the kind of shows that they will be bringing to the stage. So we've got more Learner Low to talk about in oh, yes. episodes. Yeah. I can hardly wait to talk about My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady, Camelot, maybe even Paint Your Wagon. I'm kind of intrigued now with our sort of our, <laughs> our following our trope of the, uh, the, the existential lonely mid-century man. I think Paint Your Wagon might actually be a really interesting <laughs> show to look at. And, and maybe even Gigi. We'll see how, uh, how uh, ambitious we'll see we get. We'll see how we do. Well, always a joy yeah. to talk to you, Peter. And you too. We'll see you next time. Thanks. The Gospel of Musical Theater is a production of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. Join Peter and Nathan every other Friday right here in your podcast feed and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Gospel of MT. Learn more and support us at trinity-episcopal.org slash podcasts. See you next time.